Hello, everyone. Happy Friday! Welcome to the weekly show of What is School for? My name is I. I'm the CEO of Classroom Without Walls and the host of this weekly live streaming show. You can also listen to us on the traditional audio-only podcast. Just search "What is School for?" On this show, I interview leading education professionals, teachers, parents, students. And、uh, industry leaders, entrepreneurs, business people to come here to discuss, debate, and disrupt education with us. Our goal is to future-proof the next generation. Today, I'm really excited to have my dear friend Phil Kasinki on the show to talk about technology. And、uh, if you want to pursue a career in technology. What you must know, and、uh, hold on for a second. It seems like I am having a hard time to go live on LinkedIn and、uh, LinkedIn to. Hey, Alexander, can you go to LinkedIn to check to see if I'm live on LinkedIn or not? I just got this notification. So today we are going to talk about technology. If you want to pursue a career in technology. What you must know, and、uh, you know, most people think that our technology we only know like coding, like that's how much I know about technology. But what are the other career options available? And also, besides the technical skills, how about soft skills? Do soft skills even matter? And、uh, and、uh, and degree versus. Real life experience, which matters more, and what are some of the disruptions that are actually happening in the education space when it comes to technology? So much more to talk about. Phil, he is a senior software engineer and a technical writer and a technical mentor and also a writer. And Phil has been in the tech space. I feel like forever. So really excited to learn from an industry expert like Phil today. Excited for today's discussion. As always, a big shout out to Streamyard for being a sponsor of Classroom Without Walls. Over the last several years, I have tried pretty much all the thirty part third party tools to go live. Streamyard is the best. So in the comment section, there's a link for you to check out Streamyard for a、uh, for two weeks. And we are live on Facebook, on Amazon Live, on Twitch, on Twitter, on YouTube. We're also supposed to be live on LinkedIn, but I have no idea what's going on with LinkedIn. So I'm going to check on LinkedIn in a second. But we're supposed to be live also on LinkedIn. So if you are live with us right now, let me know in the comment section where you guys are joining us live from, social media wise and geographically speaking. Without any further ado, my friend Phil, welcome to the show. Doctor, I, it's wonderful to be on here. I've enjoyed many of these Friday shows myself, especially when I'm off. And of course,、uh, I've met many great people over the years through my networking, including through、uh, LinkedIn Local. And there, there aren't many that are on the level you are, especially as I see you being a game changer. Ah,、oh, you're too kind. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. So I want to kick off today's discussion to really get to know you more. And as I said earlier, you have been in the tech space for quite some time. So, what inspired you to pursue a career、uh, in technology? Well, there were really two big things for me as a kid and growing up. The first one was that I was always a math whiz.、Uh, when I was in the third grade, I was doing three-digit by three-digit multiplication without even showing the workout and getting the answers faster than anybody else, and was more advanced all the way along.、Uh, I remember in the third grade, I actually tested out eighth grade ninth month in math, which was the it was the only reason it wasn't higher was because they couldn't go they couldn't rate me any higher than that. And then a few years later, like many of my generation, I grew up hooked on Nintendo. And as I as a loyal subscriber to Nintendo Power, I found a lot of the articles that were about the technical aspects of it really interesting. I thought this might be a, a really interesting this might be a way to go into a career to, to get into video game design. Of course, in in light of that, it's kind of interesting that I've never really gone come close to doing anything along the lines of game design. But that kind of that kind of opened the door. It, it made me think about that, and I think given my、uh, my math proficiency, it, it all I was pretty much always destined to go within that area. And as I found electronics and computers very interesting,、uh, that was the more natural path out of all the engineering disciplines to first look into. 
That's uh, very, very interesting. So what are, so after being in that space for quite some time, what are some of your personal takeaways or some of the trends that you have observed in the technology space? Well, it's interesting that I got out of college at a time with the, when we had the dot-com boom and ultimately the dot-com bust. So I got out during a very hot job market within this field. And here, I, here we are now with a similarly hot job market. Uh, I know you have some figures on that. And I can tell you that I have mm -hmm. recruiters contacting me all the time here on LinkedIn about openings they have. Uh, and I've even talked to some recruiters I know who said that if some of the, some of the engineers they knew who may have even gotten laid off during the pandemic were reemployed in short order and that their jobs are really no easier now than they were before the pandemic. Um, I think uh, now what's really changed is that technology is everywhere. And I think now it's also provably everywhere. I think back then in the dot-com boom and the dot-com bust, there was a lot of over-exuberance of some, about uh, some of the technologies and some of the companies there. Whereas now uh, technology is everywhere and you don't even necessarily need to work for what we think of as a tech company per se. Uh, an example I like to give, and I mentioned this to some young students I talked to uh, a few weeks ago, is that uh, Domino's, for example, transformed themselves when they be, when they use technology mm -hmm. to the point where now they, and there's a really interesting HBR article, which I'll have to share. I, did, I should have grabbed it beforehand, but um, talking about how companies using technology and where people can work in technology without working for such a company. And Domino's, they now consider themselves a technology company that makes pizza. They don't consider themselves a pizza company anymore. And that mindset wow. goes a long way towards this. Uh, so now technology is now more ever present. And I think the big thing I've noticed because I've now been in a variety of different roles is that there are so many different directions you can go into in this field uh, just within software alone. And it's why when I go to uh, events with people who are changing their careers into here, I like to tell them you're entering a field that has infinite possibilities. There are lot, so many ways, different ways you can go because I've gone a few different ways within it. Wow, that is so interesting. I love Domino. You know, we're a technology company, but we make pizza. See, when I think about it, even my own business, you know, Classroom Without Wars, like everything I do is related to technology, right? Maybe I'm a technology company and offering educational services. And yes, you are right. As it is, as I was getting prepared for our interview, I actually did some research and I found that, uh, like, for example, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they actually predicted and uh, like jobs for web development, like website and are projected to grow for 15% between 2016 to 2026. And similarly, uh, according to the World Economic Forum, and they did a report on the jobs of future. It is really a great report, everyone should check it out. So in that report, they identified seven clusters of like uh, jobs of future and the technology occupy like our two uh, jobs related to technology are two out of the seven clusters. And I feel like most people, when we think about technology, we're only thinking about like coders and uh, maybe data analysts. So can you share with us, like what are some of the career uh, options for people who are interested in technology? So certainly as you, it's interesting that you mentioned specifically web development too. There's a, we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but a lot of where the disruption in education is happening is with places that are offering among other things, uh, web development programs and websites. I've noticed there was a time when, when everybody had a website and it was paramount and this, I'm talking more about uh, individuals. And then they kind of became a little bit passe as social media came around and Many people figured, well, your your web presence is your LinkedIn presence or your other uh, social media presence. But more and more, I think any of us have come to understand that places like LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook are rented land and they could mm -hmm. change the rules on you in an instant. So it's better if you have your own website where you have control over what's presented there. Uh, so and I, and I to that end, a few years ago, I rolled out my own uh, individual website after I hadn't had one for some time. Mm -hmm. um, Within this field, just to give an idea, so I started my career working in the embedded systems industry for a company that made tools for engineers within there. And I did a lot of work right down at the microprocessor level. So I had the best of the worlds of coding and also having to understand hardware. Uh, there are many jobs there where you don't need to know any hardware, where you can work on a graphical user interface level, you can work on application code that kind of goes between them. Uh, some people within this field work more uh, with technical documentation, where you do need to have a technical background, even though you don't need to know it the same way someone like myself does. 
Um, I often make a distinction between software engineering, which I do, and IT workers, in that IT is who you usually talk to uh, as a system administrator who, if, if you're having a problem with your PC, if the network goes down, if an application didn't install well over the network. Um, and the, the way I like to point this out is the, the specific skill sets with them and also the how unique they are. Whereas an IT person probably couldn't get hired to do my job, I don't think I could get hired to do their job either. There's, the skill sets are different enough, even though they're, the, the base is similar. Um, and even just within software engineering, there's embedded systems. There are many different industries like medical devices. I'm in defense right now. I've been in medical devices. There are many consumer companies. Um, we could go down. We could just go right down the list. Uh, they're, they're, and so because of that, that's one of the reasons I a big reason why I mentioned there are so many ways you can go. And there's also a lot of different skills you'll need to learn along the mm -hmm. way. But that's part of the fun of it, too. Mm -hmm. uh, that is so interesting. And uh, can you share with us uh, your like, finally, by the way, everyone, we're live on LinkedIn. I, I really had no idea. I was just trying. So if you couldn't catch us live on LinkedIn, you can join me on YouTube or Classroom Without Walls, or you can catch me live on Amazon Live, uh, which is just enter classroomwithoutwalls.live. So you will be enter, be able to catch us live on Amazon. But it seems like we're live on LinkedIn finally. Yeah. So can you share, Phil, can you share your personal experience? How did you get yourself into the tech space because of your specific like educational background or internship or skills you have learned? So can you share that with us? So I went to Northeastern, which at the time uh, was one of the, the only, or it was either the only or one of the very few that actually made the co-op a requirement to graduate. Uh, many schools have a co-op or internship program, but Northeastern's had that at advantage. It also meant that it was a five-year program instead of four, but that was okay for me because I ended up graduating with almost two years of work experience in the field already. I did co-ops at leading companies there, uh, and I gained a lot from that, not just in, first I got to apply the concepts I learned in the classroom and even did a little bit of learning in the lab, uh, but there's nothing like actually applying them to a real-world situation. Um, mm. And then you also get to understand things like where meetings come in, some of the considerations that go into uh, how you might do something, uh, even some of the considerations into what might a need that might pop up. For example, I'm at I'm at a co-op job late in one of my tenures. The manager tells me he wants to start an online status reporting system so that every week he has engineers submit what they worked on, what they're doing, um, and even highlight products and even to do some sorting by certain things. That was actually the pro the project through which I learned C plus mm plus, -hmm. and that gained a lot of that gained me a great deal because I did that right from start to finish, and that was something that I don't think was on anybody's radar when I was first there, um, and even on many other uh, products I worked on. When we're in meetings, we're talking about uh, some things that we might alter from the original game plan. We talk about considerations uh, that one might not think of because sometimes when the requirements are put together by someone who is only in software hardware considerations don't get considered or vice versa. So that's why even though someone might initially do that, you wanna get a team of people together, which there's a degree to which you get that in team projects in college, but you you don't get it to anywhere near the same degree as you do in an, in an industry setting like I did. Mm. And all of that, as well as being involved in the IEEE chapter at my alma mater helped me land my first job at an embedded systems industry leader. and that helped kind of lead the way into what I did from there, working at another embedded systems company that was familiar with uh, this one. Uh, later, I landed at a company that interestingly, I had interviewed for a co-op job with years earlier. Um, and over time, I've been very adaptable to where I, I don't need to just work on, I'm not pigeonholed in just one area, even though there are areas I like it. Right now, for example, I'm working on the operating system level with an embedded system. And this is really enjoyable for me. This is, I'm kind of in my wheelhouse now because this is something I've wanted to do. It's something a lot of my learning has been geared towards lately as well. And even though I could go and do something a little bit different as I have, uh, this is this is my wheelhouse right now. I'm, I'm in a really good place working with this. Yeah, I can tell you definitely love your job. It is so interesting from what I'm hearing from you, Phil. It's, it feels like when it comes to working technology, like real life experience, is more important than just like taking a few classes or getting a degree. Is that right? Or which, which um, in your mind and or based on your experience, which one matters more? 
I think uh, there's a place for both of them, but I think at the end of the day, my co-op experience gave me an, un, an un, undoubtedly an advantage to uh, over any other applicants that uh, if, anybody who might have applied for a job out of college uh, without actually having a co-op experience, because there are so many intangibles that you go through that you pick up just from being in those settings that you just can't quantify and that you can't easily uh, get into. Um, I think at the end of that's really. Uh, been the difference maker because that set me up and then from there i already having already having that understanding i understood that there was much more than just showing up and writing code every day mm. uh, and in fact i as i think as much as possible too the curriculum and in, in the college that i went to was wasn't so much geared towards that as much as towards understanding that in engineering you're designing so that there's a design aspect and a lot of classes even some of the coding classes they wanted to see the design the thought process because it's not as simple as they give you a problem and you start writing code right away. Now, eventually you might be given a simple enough problem or you might get proficient enough that you can go and start writing code. The, there are some problems for which I can actually do that. Um, but generally speaking, the best thing you can do is, and I explained this to somebody recently who just got through a coding bootcamp, you wanna state the problem, you wanna note your inputs and outputs and you know, to what you already know, any equations you know that are helpful, um, then come up with your algorithm, your, how you're going to go get this done. Now, algorithm is kind of a technical term within this field, too, because there are many well-known and well-documented algorithms. Um, but more generally, an algorithm is just a way of doing something, uh, a formula for doing something that you come up with. Uh, and then you've got to go write your code and then test the code. It sounds mm -hmm. a lot like the scientific method, and basically it is. And when you, go, when you use that for a problem, especially a problem that's not as simple as write, write something that converts from Celsius to Fahrenheit. I mean, I, I could write that in my sleep and a lot of us who, anybody who goes through a coding bootcamp can probably write such a program in their sleep too. But the problems are a lot more complex than that. Mm. So that's where being able to also have a problem solving mindset and be able to have an approach to it um, is important. And, and a last thought on that is that when I interviewed for the job I currently have, I interviewed with three people in person and only one of them was actually a manager. One question the manager asked me was, how would I approach a problem that comes in from the field? What would my approach be? And yeah. he really wanted to know how, what, I, what, what my approach would be as far as you know, where would I look first? What would my first instinct be? And how methodical I would be about that. That was, It was a very important uh, answer. He, 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 he got into the importance of it after I had given him my answer. Uh, and that's going to be the case, uh, really, it, it, especially as you interview for more senior positions, but it's mm -hmm. going to be the case all along. And if you come in with uh, with a problem solving mindset and having a, and knowing how to approach a problem, that goes a long way because then your skills can then take over from there. Well, wow, that's such a great example, because, you know, I'm not a, I have never worked in technology and uh, and because I feel like most people, when it comes to working technology, we immediately think or assume that you know you really have to have a you must have a technical background like coding, like understand computing languages, as you mentioned. But from what I'm hearing now, it seems like you're talking about design thinking, kind of creativity, problem solving, and to me those are the skills kind of more so on the softer side, the soft skills. So like in like uh, in a field like technology, like how important is soft skill? Like do people need to actually take some time to cultivate their soft skills in order to, you know, to like survive or thrive in this technology space? Oh, they're immensely important. For one, you want to be able to communicate just generally speaking, and even more so for just everyday occurrences. So for example, the last couple of weeks, I've been in and out of the office because I've had some personal things that I've had to go and deal with. And I had to go right up front with my manager and let him know, hey, I'm going to be out of the office a little bit earlier some of these days doing some additional work from home, but I'll probably have to take some PTO because of this going on. That way, I've set that expectation with him. And I set that with my team, with my teammates when I mentioned that in the meeting first thing in the morning there as well so that they know what's happening. It comes into play when you're as a team working on a project and there's information you have that others will need to know, whether it's a teammate that has to, that whose code is going to interface with the component you're on, or maybe you, you come up with the details for a process that they're going to have to do later on. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing I know we like to do in the team I'm on right now is make sure that uh, if there's a process for building a component here, it, it's not as, it, if somebody's out of the office that had worked on that, 
well, we're, we're not stuck because we you know, the one person who knows how to do this isn't here. So we have to be able to go right out the steps, explain them, have them well documented, and in a place where everybody can get to them as well. Uh, and even just your general approach uh, comes into play in a lot of different respects, uh, even for things like the user experience. So, for example, mm -hmm. I work a lot of times at the low level of code right down at the hardware level. It's kind of removed from the user experience, from what the user sees, like buttons or a screen. So that's where somebody else comes into play. And if there's some way I can make that easier, they'll let me know about that and vice versa. Um, one example I, I even like to think of, and this is where the Internet of Things comes in, which many people have heard. Place, the Internet of Things, we're really seeing that come into play a lot, at least one place in particular, is in production areas. So just mm -hmm. imagine you have a production system that you're making your particular widget. And over time, components that some elect electrical components in there blow. It happens. I mean, all these components aren't meant to last forever. That happens. And you have to shut down production for several hours. You have to send you might have to send people home. And because you're not making your product and you're paying these people you have to send home, you're losing money doing that. Well, now what you can do is you can get you. We have access now with this to a lot of data and we can can do things with that data and make sure that data gets to people who are further on the front lines who can say, hey, I think this right, this piece, this component right here on this part of the production system is on the verge. It's getting less current here. Let's go tomorrow when everybody goes home, shut this down and go replace that so that now you don't have to send people home. You don't have to lose all that money. You can go do this during off hours. And the next day, everybody goes back to doing what they've been doing like nothing happened. Uh, and that's a great example, too, of where you realize who needs to have that data and you make sure that gets to them. And also you even design your system such that it's, you, you'll pick up on trends like that. And some of that is also where even things like artificial intelligence can come into play and pick up on these trends as well. Yeah, it's such a such a uh, interesting uh, explanation to hear you talk about technology and definitely demystify my old assumption. Oh, like people in tech are only like coders, but it seems like there are so much more and that are really goes into it like much more complex. And I want to go back to what you we were talking about earlier, you know, degree, real life experience, and you were also talking about co-op and additional certifications. I want to share my screen for a second. And this was a um, uh, this was a guy I discovered uh, last year when Julian McCoy and I were writing our book. And uh, so he has a very, very interesting perspective when it comes to like kind of college and education, uh, especially for programmers. Like I'm going to read this in case people can't see it clearly. So it's pretty a, a pretty recent post. And he said that if you plan on going to college to become a programmer, and I have, he has interviewed college graduates and self-taught coders, and the college graduates are almost always unhirable that is very radical to me and they typically have learned languages that are out of date and then in the second paragraph he's talking about this isn't their fault the professors are are teaching stuff they were experts in two to four decades ago languages that aren't even used anymore and then move on to the next paragraph so this is kind of his recommendation. I, I really want to get your perspective on this, Phil. Like, what do you think about his recommendation? And what do you think about his observation? So his recommendation says, instead, learn a modern language for free online, aka YouTube, and you can learn four times as fast without prerequisites and the other time delays associated with in-person classes. It will take you one year, not four years. You will save $100,000 on college tuition, then go get a certification test somewhere. And you will be more employable, have no debt, and have an extra three years added to your youth. And additionally, you will learn the most valuable skill, which this sentence I really love, and how to learn without relying on a school. And I don't have time to show the comments here, but like in the comment thread, there are a bunch of other like computer people, technology, data scientists, and coders. They were all resonating with him. It's like, yeah, like what you learn from school is really outdated. But this is not my zone of genius, but I want to ask you, what do you think about his observation? Are the languages 
that students learn from traditional schools are really outdated. And what do you think about his recommendation? You know, taking certifications like online classes. So share your perspective on that particular post with us. I think there's some grains of truth to it. Um, I, I, I would say I'm not entirely on board with them, but I, but there's certainly grains of truth there. Uh, to be sure, change happens very slowly in colleges, especially when it comes to undergraduate day programs. And I, even though like my alma mater greatly changed things, but that also has a lot to do with the fact that they went off the quarter system. Uh, they're now on a modified semester system. But the languages you get taught, they, it's, they tend to vary. And I think as far as what you want to learn and where you would best go, of course, I'm a big proponent of learning through places like Udemy or Coursera. Udemy is my personal favorite. I took six courses from there last year. I've already finished one this year and I'm on my way through another one. Um, and edX is another great option. There, there are so many of them now, which is wonderful. Um, I think what you get through, it depends also on what you want to do. So. I knew I wanted to get to, to go right into the hard engineering, which included electrical, which included learning hardware. If what you want to do is work as a web developer, then you are you can simply target a lot of those skills and even mm -hmm. target something that has that can give you some good examples programs to do so that you get some practice. Uh, if you know you want to do something more like what I do, which is in the embedded system slash IoT, that's not something that's so easily done. Uh, just that way, because you, you need to know a little some different skills there. Um, but generally speaking, I think there's some good points he makes. And I mean, and certainly Fortran, Fortran's a language. If anybody mentions that right away, someone will say, well, you're dating yourself mentioning that because Fortran, mm -hmm. I, I can't remember the last time I've seen that used anywhere in industry. Uh, and I've been in this for a couple of decades. Uh, depending on what you want to do, if you want to do web development, for example, there's a whole host of different database languages and technologies. I could spend all day trying to think of some of them. Um, I know if you want to go and do more heart, more right at the application level, you might do C, C++, Java, uh, and even C Sharp. You'd learn the .NET languages through Microsoft. Um, Maybe you want to do something with network programming. If you want to do that, now there are some APIs out there that are in different languages, but generally you're probably looking at C and C++ and maybe you can find some Java shops that have some of that. Um, and that kind of gives you the, the idea that th there's a lot, it, it really depends on what you want. So for example, and even to, to go to further this, I got in touch with a young college student uh, last fall who was just starting out and she asked me a lot of questions about different languages and which ones would be good to learn. And the question I, I would respond with a question saying, what is really of your big interest? Because that's mm -hmm. what's going to dictate it to a large degree. Because if you want to do web development, you don't really re need to know C and C++ and Java mm -hmm. probably not because Java applets are really a thing of the past. Um, if you want to go work down near the hardware, work on things, uh, work right on, on some of these specialized devices or even things like a car system or something similar or a medical device, you almost certainly have to know some hardware, you have to know some C and C++ and even understand things at the operating system level. So, and, and it's in some ways, perhaps you get, you get some of that a little bit easier out of an organized curriculum, but I think you've got trade-offs there. I think what you'll get out of a college curriculum versus this is, you'll get some benefits and you'll get some not. I think the real equalizer though, is if you go to a college program where you also get an internship or a co-op because now you can really start to apply that. And you can also understand which portion of industry you wanna go in. I remember at one point I thought I wanted to do things that were more in the data communications network programming realm. And then I went away from that and for a while and realized I had found more of a niche working right down at the low level. So this also gives you a little chance of trial and error as well. Uh, there's no substitute for experience, and that's the case here. And uh, in many respects, I even liken it to you know, your, your skills are important, but the other things matter a lot, too. It's just like in the sport. You know, if you play basketball, you can dribble, pass, and shoot, but you have to know a lot more about that if you're going to be a good player. Mm. Yeah, I, I love this. And uh, so kind of like, yeah, thanks for sharing that and uh, really resonates with my own perspective. I'm just reading uh, some comments here, and here's one. Uh, Join us live on LinkedIn. He said that he took one VBA programming class in college. It's a terrible course taught by PhD students, and uh, but he mainly learned his coding experience through online courses and OJT and the open courseware out there is really good, and which is and also 
uh, Kevin is uh, resonating certification programs, and they are more like they can prepare students much quicker than the traditional college level classes. And there are so many opportunities that come with those high quality certifications. And speaking of which, I want to share uh, my screen again, which is really interesting, kind of really re uh, related to what we are talking about here right now. So last year at Google, they launched their own career certification program. And I really should check out this article. And Google has a plan to disrupt college degree. So they launched their own certification program to replace the four-year college. And what is really interesting is that their own certification program only takes about six months to complete, and it's like $300. And so here are the three uh, specific uh, roles that those uh, certifications are preparing students for. Uh, one is project manager. As you can see, those positions, they pay really well, right? Another one is data analyst. And another one, you were actually talking about this field, user experience designer. And so to me, this is a very interesting disruption and in how Google, being a big tech company, they are... I don't know why they are doing this, but my prediction is that they are probably failing the college graduates from college. They're not being fully prepared. That's why they want to do this. And do you see like similar disruptions in the education space uh, when it comes to technology? I'm not aware of many companies that are doing something like that, but certainly what Google's doing, I think, that, I think a part of the incentive too is that this also kind of opens a pipeline for them uh, for people who they, they can now vet ahead of time who might be interesting for their company as well. Uh, that said, I, I think they'll pro this will probably be something that'll be well worth it. And those are certainly very important, uh, very important jobs. I mean, you think of a data analyst, so data is everything. Big data is uh, all the rage these days and data drives a lot of things. In fact, a lot of places like um, uh, General Assembly have programs on that with mm -hmm. data science and similar uh uh, similar concepts that they they have whole programs on it, and project managers can they can vary a little bit by company, and I I think of that because I know the the project and program managers that I work with now have a whole have a little different uh, function than some of the other ones that I've known over the years, but project managers may not necessarily be technical in nature, at least not to, not in the same way that that I am but they have to be able to go and understand technical concepts enough that they can kind of pull a team together and get a product a, a product launched and get it out the door. Mm. Um, and a lot of times there are things that, you know, getting a product out the door isn't just a matter of engineers going and putting things together. Even it's not just the design team. You need people who are on the release team or who do DevOps, which is another hot area within there. Uh, you need more people who pull all this together. Of course, it's also the bigger the product and company, the the bigger the team you need. I can tell you that where we are at Raytheon, we have many more people that, that are involved in getting getting something out uh, all fit completed than if you were in a small company with a much smaller product where one or two people might do all the work and, and not just the development. Um, I think the bigger disruptions I see uh, is I see programs like General Assembly, uh, Stack Education, Launch Academy, uh, all coming up with all coming out now, and they have programs that teach people coding and a lot of things that are related to it, like how to go and solve the pro solve problems along the way. Uh, they these are really disrupting education in part mm -hmm. because more for adult education because most of the people I think who come through these programs are people who are career changers, even if it's a slight career change. Mm -hmm. I say that because I remember an electrical engineer actually once went through a general assembly coding program. So what he was doing was not all that different from what he's going to do now, at least fundamentally. And I've been fortunate to be a part of uh, some of those experiences because I've been invited through General Assembly and some uh, colleges that have coding boot camps that are through the two U. Uh, uh, that's two with the two in the letter, the number two in the letter U, uh, where I've then got they present students have presented their projects. I've given some feedback and I've asked them some questions about what they went through on the project, all to help them also understand what they'll see in an interview. Because when you're coming new into the field, uh, interviewing for a technical interview is a little different than some other interviews you'll have and also to help them understand you know, some things about this new field mm -hmm. i think those are some of the big areas um and even stack education has something that's a little more at least uh, that's more outwardly non-technical as well that they've come up with too 
Uh, I know the founders there, uh, Rich and Peggy, do great work there. So I can't recommend them enough to anybody who might ever uh, think about changing their careers. But I see more of these popping up because there are other programs like this in other cities as well that I've been that I've heard of other people going through. So uh, this is be this is becoming a big deal, and I think more and more people are deciding who decide to change their careers in tech are going this route. And between them, between Udemy, Coursera. Uh, Udacity and even edX and similar places, you've got a lot of options now. And that's part of what also gets me excited to go and expand my skills is all the courses I've taken through there. And even for myself, I've used the IEEE Boston section too. Yeah, definitely becoming a lifelong learner, which reminds me, I will try to find the article that I read uh, in 2018. There was an education futurist at Harvard University, and he made a big prediction. And he said that uh, in 10 years, 50% of American colleges and universities will go bankrupt. It is so interesting to hear that stats and also listening to you to share all those like really interesting and exciting disruptions happening in the, at least in the technology space. And I want to go back to share that um, uh, the, uh, the Inc article. Anyone, if you want to uh, get the link, let me know. I will share the link with you. So like here, so this uh, Google certification from, from Google, and it is so interesting that they said that although those courses like take half a year to complete, and each course is designed and taught by Google employees who are actually working in the field and practicing those, like everything they were teaching, they're teaching the students. And uh, they also said that there, and they actually launched this in 2019, and the Google IT certification program has become the single most popular uh, certification in Coursera. And so do you see uh, uh, feel this trend will continue like eventually those alternative learning platforms like Udemy, Coursera, General Assembly that you mentioned and like industry joints like Google, like are they going to be a force to really like disrupt, like, you know, even force some colleges go bankrupt or like, you know, they just can't offer programs like that anymore. I think that's certainly going to have quite an impact on them. I, I think what's starting to happen with college education as a, as a whole, and this was an observation made by the former president of my alma mater uh, to some degree, I'm kind of paraphrasing some of his thoughts on this, but I see it too, is that there's a, I think there's always going to be a place for college mm -hmm. life, for kids who come straight out of high school, who go the traditional route, who want to go for things besides just the academic experience. Mm -hmm. But once you get past there, um, Adult education is a whole different ball game. And I'll just mm -hmm. use myself as an example where when I first graduated, Northeastern had what was called the state of the art program. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of an additional program that was technology focused. And I took several courses there. I took an advanced C course, a couple of Java courses, even a C sharp course. Fast forward probably five, 10 years and that program's gone. They've integrated it with their entire adult education program. And as I look through what's in the adult education now, there's maybe five courses, if that, that do anything for me, um, it, with just within the technology area. So I have a choice. Do I take one of those few courses? Do I go into a full-time, do I go into a graduate program, which I have to go get admitted? I have to go at a certain pace there, which could be disruptive and may not be what I want. Um, or do I go look at other avenues? And so I just kept looking at other avenues at that point. And so now we have many more viable avenues that are springing up to the point where adult education, I think, is going to become the hallmark or it's going to be what makes these companies go. And I mean, as an example, I'm going to add to this, too. So I mentioned, for example, Launch Academy. Launch Academy was founded by a former software engineer. I actually met him a few years ago. So I wow. and I've gone to a couple of their uh, a couple of their sessions that they've had that they that were open to the public for three hours and they were very well done. They were taught by the same person and he's got a team of people who have been in the field. So these are practitioners. And that's one thing that's also very, that these uh, education ab educational avenues offer that colleges don't necessarily offer. Uh, as you know, many of these college professors are not many of them have, have worked in the industry, if, not, if, for, if, if at all, for very long. And they may and while they may have many relationships there and they and some might even consult a little bit with them. Uh, it's very different trying to do things for academia than to try to get get a product out there. And when you you're 
the, the goals are entirely different. And even I, I felt the difference more and more as a longtime IEEE member reading mm -hmm. IEEE publications because it got one of the reasons I let my membership lapse was because as I read those the, the publications, I increasingly felt like everything was just a little too academic. It didn't feel like it was readily applicable or like it, it helped me. It didn't feel like that my time was as well spent reading them as it used to be. And much of what's in IEEE does come from people who are in academia. And there, there are plenty who aren't, but there's a good deal of it, uh, is a, a good deal of the content that I had been reading over those years were people who work in academia. Yeah. Oh my God. You're totally speaking my language. I was such a college professor, a little bit like embarrassed to admit, and I got quite a few degrees, but I never really uh, truly understood how to apply what I was learned because it is not valued, prioritized, especially if you go to a research university. The biggest thing people care about is like publications. So I spent lots of time theorizing and collecting data, analyzing data, writing academic tier one journals. I spent a little time, like zero time to really improve myself as a practitioner. Uh, but I really think that needs to be changed, especially for, for careers like technology, business and marketing. And I love this comment from Michael. Thank you for joining us live. And we need more teachers like Michael, right? So combines like a, like the hybrid model, like you are teaching based on theories at the same time. Those courses are also taught by industry professionals, you know, who are stay up to date. And I shared this article on my LinkedIn a few days ago. It was uh, written by um, Brandon Busted. I actually interviewed him. Mm -hmm. He, he read for Forbes and he made a prediction. He said that, uh, not prediction, he shared a big study conducted by uh, Caleb saying that 50% uh, the importance of college education has decreased for 50%, 5-0 in the United States over the last six years. And his prediction is kind of what we're talking about here right now is this more so hybrid model like industries partner up with like academia and to really uh, prepare, better prepare the next generation. I hope we will have more uh, industry professionals to teach in the classroom. Just like, don't just look at that piece of paper, but actually look at their professional experience. And uh, so here's another comment saying that IBM is also launching their own courses like Microsoft. Like I'm going to look them up. I only know Google. And those are really disruptive forces. I think for schools, if they don't disrupt or they will be disrupted, right? They really mm -hmm. have to learn to adapt. So we really don't have much time left. What a great conversation. And besides being a senior uh, software engineer, you actually also mentor students. You mentioned that earlier. So I want to ask you, like, what's the age of students that you mentor? And what are some observations that you have discovered uh, after uh, working with those students or young people? So right now, in particular, I formally mentor a recent uh, graduate student from, from one school around here. She's actually in a plastics engineer, so it's a little bit outside the field. But a lot of what I do in that case is I, I'm just there to go and, and really answer questions she has about things that are just generally about being a professional and within the field, about relating to others, dealing with situations there, even about how she's managing her life, too. Mm -hmm. um, with with others who come into the field, uh, I basically what happens there is I'm ready. I, they drive this basically. I let them know that for them, you drive this. You you come to me with uh, what questions you have about the field, about some things, how you can best advance in the field, how you can uh, move, how, how you can best uh, even even if you want to go uh, change up what you're doing. Uh, at the same time, I learn a lot too because some of the questions they ask are things that I don't have an immediate answer for, or they require perhaps a little more thought than you think. I mean, when you mentor people, sure, you're you're coming from a place of knowledge and you're helping them to grow, but it ha you always have to look at it as this is going to be a relationship where you're growing too, where mm -hmm. not only you get the satisfaction of helping others, but but you're going to be asked questions that you may not have an answer to, and either have to seek them out through other people you know, through, and where they're leveraging your network as well. Or where you have to, you might have to go research that and use some of what you already know to give them a more educated answer. Um, 
that's often the nature of it. And what I find is that many who want to come into this field, uh, naturally, the first things they want to know are some of the skills that they want to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, which language do I want to learn? Uh, what industry? Or I want to get into this industry. What do I need to know? And, and that's a good starting point. And it's natural to ask those questions. And I make sure along the way that I weave in the things that they won't get from those skills in many respects, sort of like when I used to deal with basketball players all the time, I would talk to them about things besides dribble pass, dribbling, passing and shooting, because those are just the basics. Those mm-hmm. set you up, but you're not going to become a good player if you don't study the game, study how to use those skills best, study your opponents and so forth. Um, there, there's so much more that goes into it, just like there's so much more that goes into being a good engineer than just merely having the skills. Um, and relatedly as well, um, one of the programs that I've done some of this through, which is the Black Technology Mentorship Program, and I've, that's been around for barely 10 months, but is growing immensely. Um, they, among other things, have a whole uh, learning center where I've done a couple of sessions on some subjects, hoping to go and introduce some people to it. And many others have done similar things. And I know that uh, the, the main people behind it, uh, Christopher Lafayette and Diane Tucker, who's kind of the right-hand woman and the rest of the team, they have some big things they want to do with this. And mm-hmm. after Chris spoke at a conference I was at last year, a lot of it resonated with me. And I said, I want to be part of this and even try to make some things happen with it. Because let's face it, I mean, people of color as in engineering have not always been welcome. And I, I think they sh- there's no reason that they shouldn't have the same excitement about this every day that I have, uh, you know, that's what they want. They want to come and deal with technology. And so I want to help them grow. And that's also what's inspired me to go and work with people through other avenues like the New Hampshire Tech Alliance as well. Wow, that's exciting. I'm definitely a uh, black tech mentoring program. I'm definitely going to look them up. I agree. We need more women and especially people of color in the technology space, not being like discouraged. Yeah, I, I yeah, I love this comment from Kevin who said that the problem with the current uh, university design is that it has this universal education claim at the core of what uh, it, it does rather than really focus on skill sets. Yeah, I, I think it is so important as we have been talking about, especially for students in a very applied field, right? Like to me, computer data science coding, they're very, very important. You have to really practice. So here is a young person for you to mentor and coach on the spot. Um, Puja joining us live from India. Thank you. So she asked, do you think coding is necessary for everyone? This is actually a really interesting question because, you know, going back to education and also related to what we were talking about last week when I had Dr. Peter Gray on the show, like, I feel like all of a sudden, like parents are going crazy about this. Like there's like code academy for like three years old, code academy for five years old, everybody's learning coding. And so, so what do you think about it? Should everyone learn coding? I think it would be very helpful. I think because in learning that you learn how to go and the, the idea behind coding is you're telling a computer, which generally, which inherently is basically, as we say, a dumb terminal. It doesn't know anything other than what you give it. So we say there's the phrase garbage in, garbage out. If you give a computer garbage, you're going to get garbage right back. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's a little bit facile and that's not entirely true, but to a large degree it is. So if you learn how to do that, there's a lot of things you can do. You can make your own website that can then help with your personal brand. Uh, you can come, you can even design your own systems that custom systems that might help you, whether it's a calendar, whether it's uh, some kind of an organizer, uh, whether it's a your own customer relationship management system. Um, and there's also the set what you get just in trying to go through that process mm-hmm. of solving a problem and thinking about use cases, thinking about uh, an end user and how that would be used. Um, there's certainly a lot to be said for that. Uh, I, I think that I think there would be a lot. I think there's a lot to gain. So I, I guess I, I for a yes, no answer. I'd say, uh, yes, it's probably I think it's a really good idea for for everybody to at least learn a little bit about it, even if it's something that you never do. Uh, it's nice. It's even it's nice to have it in your back pocket. And I think what you learn along the way and trying to become a problem solver, uh, that helps out immensely. There's because at the end of the day, what we do in business, no matter what our business is, is we're trying to solve problems, whether it's an inherently high tech business with a high tech product or it's a service business. You're trying to go solve problems one way or the other. That's interesting. So like for people like 
Uh, are you even saying that, like, for young people, like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about my own children, like, six years old, nine years old. You think they should be exposed to some sort of coding, kind of like learning about this, practicing problem solving? Is that what you're saying? Probably not right away. And I think of this as, as the father of a five-year-old. So, of course, my son's right in the same ballpark as, uh, as one of yours. But uh, there's, there's a place for that, at least as they start to at least gain a little bit of intuition within the math and science realm, and especially math, because you'll find, I think, especially if you get into more advanced programming, math, com math comes in a lot more. I know that, I, that my math background especially comes in for what I do down at the low level of software, because I have to work with different... Uh, different number bases. We, we all deal in base 10 from zero through nine and 10 to 19 and so forth. Uh, but of course we deal often in bits and hexadecimal as well. So we have numbers like zero uh, XF is actually 15. It's not just the letter F. So we have other notations for that. And so there some mathematical intuition comes into play there and helps out immensely. So I, I think without some of that, it's probably not, it's probably uh, not as useful. But I think as kids get up maybe into about middle school and beyond, and certainly by high school, I think there's something to be said for that. I think there, there ought to be a place for at least some basics and, and even just understanding that before you go write a line of code, you should know what you want to go write. You should have uh, something mapped out to say, okay, when I go sit down to my text editor here, this is what I'm going to write because now you have your game plan there. And doing going without that, it's sort of like going into a, a baseball game without knowing what the other pitcher is going to throw. And you're, you're a lot more likely to strike out on three pitches than you are to get a big base hit. Mm, I love it. I love it. Thank you. And uh, uh, Pooja is uh, resonating with what you said. It is so interesting. And she said that she loves uh, your insights because she never thought that a tech person can actually explain something so well. I think that's a typical stereotype that we have for technology people. They are just like really about like coding those things. They are not really into like soft skills, which we were talking about earlier. And like actually in that Facebook post I shared earlier, people were actually talking about besides the technical knowledge and skills that one has. And they were also talking about the importance of like uh, soft skill communication, negotiation, problem solving, all of those are really, really essential. And so uh, so what a, a great interview, Phil. Like, so share, you already mentioned quite a few resources, but for people who want to learn more about you know, technology, and can you kind of summarize some of your favorite like platforms or places that we can check out to learn more about this and to stay educated? We, we definitely hear from you that it is important to be a lifelong learner if you want to pursue a career in technology. So how do you stay educated on this topic? So share some of your favorite resources with us. Once upon a time, of course, there were many great magazines that I subscribed to. In fact, uh, I once, but I, I think I subscribe to about a dozen different ones, including IEEE publications, and pretty much all of them have gone by the wayside now. Uh, for myself, as an embedded engineer, I do read a fair amount at embedded.com. Mm -hmm. I find also that just for more general engineering uh, uh, reading, I, I find that the builtin.com sites, which which actually uh, they have also city-based uh, portions of that, which I first found out about them through Built-in Boston. And they, they have a lot of good uh, columns, which I've shared some of them on LinkedIn as well, that talk about different considerations that have, that are going on in engineering. Uh, in fact, a couple of them about, I'm going to read shortly, and we'll probably share some of them here. Um, Udemy is my favorite place for going to do online learning, but there's also, as I've mentioned, edX. Uh, I've taken a general assembly course. I actually took one in person before the pandemic hit. Uh, would probably do that again. I went to a couple of Launch Academy three-hour sessions to learn a little bit about Ruby on Rails and JavaScript. Uh, and I've got a number of resources on my page uh, there. If you were to go to uh, the page Phil recommends where I have links to many things, and that's something I'm going to keep growing too, because I, I feel like as I meet a lot of people who are transitioning into the field and they want to learn more and they want some resources like this, it's a good idea for me to go and have those accessible and to share them with others because this is, this will all help them go. Um, there's other places, I, I don't read TechCrunch much, but I know that's a well-known site as well. 
Um, and as you see right there, some of the places I mentioned, conferences are a great way to learn. And as uh, and I recommend if you can go to any conferences, especially now that many of them are going virtual. And as an example, in less than in about three weeks, I'll be at the Embedded Online Conference. Actually, it's four weeks. The Embedded Online Conference will be held uh, next month. I went to that last year online. That was wonderful. It was every. It was in many ways everything that the Embedded Systems Conference I've attended many times uh, has been. So uh, that's really that was well done, and I'm looking forward to more like that. And uh, th and plus some of these organizations like the Mass TLC that you see there, New Hampshire Tech Alliance, and wherever you are, there's probably a local organization similar to that, as well mm -hmm. as the IEEE. Your local IEEE chapter probably also has some resources for learning as well. I know I've gone to the Boston section of IEEE for some of their courses they've offered. Used to go many times in person. Now they offer many of them virtually even before the pandemic. Uh, so those are among the ones there. And one last thought too, because I know and it came to my mind during uh, a comment you had made a, probably about five minutes or so ago. And we've talked about this before too in our conversations. The jobs of the future are going to be entrepreneurial in nature, and that doesn't mean that everybody's going to be a business owner. Although we should all think of ourselves uh, you know, as the CEO of you Inc. And think of yourself as a company of one that you're in charge of. And the more you understand, even as a technology worker, about the business that you're involved in, the better you understand your value, the better you understand your company's decisions and even how they may affect your department. And you can even get out ahead of things if your company's not doing well, and you might know it might be time to go and look elsewhere before things get even worse, or even uh, to know that a company is, is is on the verge of breaking out or is doing really well. You, you understand a lot more. And then when you're interviewing with a manager, you understand your value more and how you create value, and you understand the manager's job more. When you start speaking mm -hmm. the manager's language, that goes a long way. Mm. Well, that is such a powerful, great uh, addition to what we have been talking about. And also reminds me of what you shared at the very beginning of our interview, how Domino is seeing themselves as a technology company making pizza. It is such a like a paradigm shift, like, at least for me, to really make that switch. And it just shows how important technology is in our day-to-day -day life, regardless of what you do. And uh, like I think you know, Michael shared that he has worked with youth, young people, and uh, embracing coding. They really embrace coding naturally, and uh, learning coding has helped those people to become better at math and making connections between math and coding. So yeah, I, I think today's interview has definitely in inspired me to learn more, and also inspired me to coach my own kids to to embrace this and check it out. There are so many interesting cool apps that do you know any resources for young kids phil kind of none in particular that stand out none that are especially okay. geared towards them well actually there's one in particular and i can't think of the name of it but i do know there was someone who presented at startup boston startup boston week last year startup boston week mm -hmm. uh, is a, a week-long series of events that are geared towards the startup community in the boston area there was one person who was on a panel who actually had a really interesting product, which I'm going to have to go look that up because I'm drawing a blank on it. But I remember being intrigued by it uh, when I did see it. And even at the point where I'm, I'm going to be keeping an eye on that as my five-year-old continues to grow, especially because he shows an interest in a lot of some, in a lot of this. And like a lot of kids that age, he has an incredible memory. He, You you think you say some, you're going to say something to him and he's just going to forget it. You know, he remembers it two weeks later and he's going to hold <laughs> you to it. <laughs> That is so cute. Yeah, so definitely as you gather more resources, everyone, we should definitely uh, we should definitely follow you on your website. I think that resources page is so good. Uh, tons of resources. So yeah, so besides your website, which I have here, so where are somewhere else that people can connect with you, Phil? I am mainly only active on LinkedIn. I used to have a very active Twitter, but once I uh, ended my college basketball business, uh, that pretty much uh, went by the wayside. I don't really, I haven't really used Twitter for much else, uh, and I'm not, and I'm only only partially active on Facebook these days. And I keep that largely to family and friends, and not much more than that anyway. Um, so LinkedIn, and then through my personal site are the main places. And uh, I'll I'll also add, as a parting thought, if if anybody does want to connect with me on LinkedIn, please do have a personalized message request and note that you saw me on here or through some other means too. And you should do this with anybody you connect with, because uh, I think a lot, I know a lot of other people who, when they get many, many uh, invitations to connect, 
a lot of times if we don't know the person already and we don't, and a connection isn't obvious or a reason to connect is not there, we'll just let it sit. No, I do that. And I know some other people do too. So please get in the habit of sending a personalized connection uh, message. Yeah, I do the same. I have at least 80 to 90 pending <laughs> connection requests. It was like, who are you? Why do you want to connect with me? So yeah, that, that means that is so, so, so important. Yeah. Anyway, my friend, thank you so much for such a great information regarding something that I have so little knowledge about. And I definitely learned a lot and feeling uh, really inspired to learn more. And definitely I will check out the resources that you shared. And thank you everyone so much for joining us live from all over the globe. I'm so sorry about whatever has happened on LinkedIn earlier. Sorry. So if you missed the earlier part of LinkedIn, you can check it out on Amazon Live, or you can go to my Facebook, you can go to my Twitter, or you can go to my YouTube channel to make sure you, ca you, you catch the first 10 or 15 minutes-ish. So thank you so much again, everyone. And uh, I look forward to continue the conversation regarding education. And uh, next Friday or Saturday for some of you, same time, same location. And uh, thank you so much again, Phil. Everyone has a great weekend. Bye.